Um, so friends, I'm going to hand over to Marihel. We are in week two of our Philippian sermon series. Um, and those of you who have heard Marihel preach before would have um, prepared yourself um, expectantly for the word of God tonight. So I'm going to hand over to Marihel. Awesome. Thank you, Yaku. Um, Heinrich and Annika, I just want to echo everything that Yaku said and prayed over you. Your lives and your faithfulness is refreshing and challenging at the same time. Good evening, church. Um, it's with great joy and great expectancy that I stand here tonight. Um, this morning, as I was having my quiet time, um, I thought of, you know, tonight and standing here and preaching. And I had this moment with God of just saying to him, Lord, you know, who am I? Who am I to stand in front of people and preach? And I'm just so thankful for what God has done in my life and that I don't stand here on my own behalf and preaching my own words. Thank goodness I can preach the word. But um, I'm just so expectant for what God wants to come and do. In preparing for tonight's sermon, I feel like God has completely challenged me and I stand before you feeling like my spirit is crushed and my heart is broken. And um, if tonight doesn't mean anything to you, maybe I'm preaching to myself um, because this word is really challenging to me and I, I really hope that God will speak to us and minister to us as we look at the concept of finding joy. And so we've been looking at Philippians and I hope that you guys are joining us, reading through the book of Philippians, joining the, um, also online, that we are following the reading plan. Um, if you want to join that still, you're welcome to highfile.online. But reading through this book, we see the life of Paul, and we see how he is pouring out his heart towards this church, that he is calling them to live a life completely surrendered to the gospel. And he's challenging them from his own life. He is writing to them from prison after going through many trials and saying to them, come on, I'm calling you to join me in this great privilege and task of living for the gospel. And throughout this book, we see many times glimpses of where he is speaking about this concept of joy. And that's why the sermon series is about finding joy. And it's not this thing of, okay, we're going to go on this treasure hunt and go look for it now. Continually, as you read through the book, you see how he is speaking of this joy is found within our lives and within discovering God and living for God. And so last week, um, Yaku kicked us off with Philippians 1 with the powerful message of just understanding this joy versus happiness. So we think many times of happiness and we're pursuing happiness and we all want to be happy. And that's great. But joy is so much more than happiness. And, and last week, Yaku did a great job at just distinguishing the two at making us understand that happiness is temporary but joy is so much deeper and it's more lasting. And so when we look at joy, we 
realize that joy isn't just an emotion, it's something that we have. Joy is something that actually gives us capacity to handle the difficulties of life. That in the midst of chaos, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of suffering, joy can actually help us to not just face it, but to walk through it in a way that honors God. And that doesn't just honor God, but in a way that actually gives us strength and gives us energy to live a life beyond ourselves. And to live with such a capacity that the things that we are facing does not affect us the way that it is supposed to affect us. And that's joy. And that's what we want. We want something that is supernatural, that is not just an emotion, but it's an internal, supernatural thing that actually brings stability in our lives. It brings stability even in our emotions. It's this thing that's beyond what is going on in our soul that is supernatural and spiritual and that gives us the capacity to live through things that we should not be able to live through. And that's what we're talking about. He also um, spoke about how this joy is through Christ. And let me see who can remember. So please don't put that on the slides now. Who can remember the memory verse of last week? Philippians 1, somewhere there. Which one? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, so to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's a wonderful verse to memorize and all of that. But it's not so simple to live that out. And it's incredible to look at Paul's life and to see how that was really true for him. How being alive to him was all about Christ. It was all about the gospel. And I think even for myself, that challenges me because so many times I find myself living for other things and looking at other things to bring fulfillment and to bring meaning to my life. But for him, he just looked at Christ the whole time and that's all that he saw. And that's what he lived for. And that's why he said that he's in the struggle of, you know, if I die, I get to go to Christ. But at the same time, I understand what Christ died for, and I want to live for that. And we're going to go a bit further on that concept tonight, looking a little bit further at what does that mean to have joy through Christ. Now, Yaku mentioned that um, so many times we think that I will have joy when blank. I will have joy when I get that promotion, or I will have joy when I get that perfect life when I get that wife or that husband and I get to have children and I get to have just a good life. And we form in our brains this picture of what we think would be the perfect life for us. And then we think, if I could just live that, I will have so much joy. But we all know that life has a lot of curveballs and a lot of things that we didn't expect. And there are so many things that we think God, anything can happen to me, just not that. And I want to encourage you tonight that I hope after tonight that you will say, God, anything can happen to me as long as I have you. And that we would have that strength and that um, security in Christ and in the gospel to know that no matter what hits us, no matter what we're going to face in this life, we will live for Christ and for the gospel with joy.
and it won't be a challenge, it won't be a struggle, it won't be something that we have to do, but it will be something that God does within us. So tonight's sermon is when, when Jakob and I first spoke, and it's supposed to be about community, joy through community and through people and having people in your life. And it is about that. But reading through the scripture, I think something that just stood out to me is it's also joy through suffering. And that sounds heavy. And I think to some of you, if you hear that and you're like, oh my goodness, I chose the wrong night to come to church. Joy through suffering. I don't know if I want to listen to this. But bear with me. Um, I'm trusting that God is going to encourage us through this message and that you will understand that suffering is not this bad swear word, but it's actually something beautiful that God wants to come and reveal to us tonight. And we're looking at Philippians 2, but we're first going to first look at how did Philippians 1 end? Because we need to understand what happens in Philippians 1 before we read further and, and look at Philippians 2. I just want to pray for us for the word because I'm really trusting that God will speak so clearly and pow- powerfully to us. Lord, thank you for your life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth, living the life that we should have lived, and dying the death that we should have died in our place, and offering us not just the gift of salvation, but offering us a new life in you, a life of so much meaning and so much purpose and so much joy in the midst of this broken world. And Lord, I pray as we read the scripture now, will you come and just reveal yourself to us? Lord, will you speak to us so clearly, God? I just pray for your revelation over our hearts and for your encouragement and for your grace over us, Lord, that we will hear what you want to come and speak to us tonight. Lord, call us to yourself. Call us to what it is that you want to call us to tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in Philippians 1, verse 29 to 30, we read, and it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay, so Paul is writing and he's saying, that it has been granted to us. So he's speaking to the Philippians, but he's actually also speaking to us. It has been granted to us. There's a gift that has been granted to us, and that gift is that we get to suffer with Christ. Yay. Now, if we don't get this, we're going to struggle to understand joy. If we don't understand what Paul is writing here, we're always going to struggle following Jesus. We're always going to struggle living out the normal Christian life because it does include suffering. And that doesn't mean that now I'm telling you, you need to go look for suffering and go suffer. And that's a bit of stoic type of lifestyle. That's not what I'm saying. But if we understand the victory that we have in Christ, suffering does not scare us. Suffering should not discourage you. Because the fact is that we do live in a broken and in a messed up world. And you can't escape that. And when you come to Christ, it doesn't mean that that goes away. But it means that the perspective that we have on suffering changes. 
And all of a sudden, there's a supernatural grace to handle the suffering with. And so he says, it has been granted to us that we should, not, should no longer just believe in him, but we should also suffer with him. And we're going to speak a little bit about what that suffering looks like. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that you now have to go and choose a life of suffering. It just means that you embrace it without being scared of it. He continues then in Philippians 2. We're going to read from verse 1 to 13. So this is a long piece of scripture. But let's see what, what Paul is writing and what we can understand about the suffering that we can embrace. He says there, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, so he's saying if you're getting anything from the life of Christ, if that has made any impact on your life so far, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. He's speaking here about unity. He is saying, be of the same mind, the same heart, and he's not just speaking of us as a church and as believers being in unity. He's, he's actually speaking of us as believers worldwide being in unity, but being in unity with the Spirit of God and understanding what God has done, understanding what Jesus has done. Then he goes on to say, but in humility count, oh, oh sorry, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's understanding that we don't just live for ourselves, but we look to others. We open our eyes to the people and the needs around us. And we look to those interests as well. Then he goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves. The way that you do this, the way that you live beyond yourself, the way that you don't just live for yourself, is by having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. So he's not saying you have to now obtain this type of thinking. He's saying that when you are in Christ, you already have it. He's giving this mind to us. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the mind that we need to have is we need to understand that Jesus was God. Jesus had everything. Jesus was himself God. He was in heaven in a very comfortable, privileged God position, and he chose to come down to earth in human form, leaving behind all of his godly power. He was completely dependent on God the Father 
for anything that he did on earth. So yes, he was still God, but he wasn't walking around as a God on earth. He was walking around as a human being. He humbled himself, even to the point of death. He emptied himself. He gave himself. He came to us. He came to earth to live among us, to be with us, to have fellowship with regular human beings. If you look at who the disciples were that he hung out with, they were not the high and mighty people in society. They were the nobodies. And he came to them and he spent time with them. And in his ministry, taking them along, he went to the nobodies. He went to the outcasts. He went to the people that had no place of belonging, the people that were so broken, so messed up. And he spent time with them. He emptied himself so that they could relate to him. And that's the same thing that he does to us when he comes to us. He doesn't come to us and say, bow before me. He comes to you in your brokenness, in your messed up life. And he says, I want you to come to me. He makes himself relatable. He empties himself and steps into our brokenness so that we can relate to him. And that's the mind that we need to have. That's the mind that we need to have when we think not of ourselves and of our own interests, but when we look around us and we look at people around us, we need to have that mind of Christ to say, I am in a privileged position. I have many things that other people don't have. So what am I doing with what God has given me? Am I staying in my comfort zone? This has challenged me so much because in a way, we do live in a bit of a bubble. We don't necessarily see ourselves as super rich and super privileged, but we are. There are many people in the world that don't have what we have, that are struggling, that are suffering. And we get to choose. We get to choose what we do with our comfort and with our privilege and with everything that we have. Are we going to keep it and hold tight to it and try to just have a nice life and a comfortable life? Or are we going to do what Jesus did and empty ourselves? And humble ourselves and go to those that don't have and go to those that are broken and say to them, I want you to relate to me. I want to come to you. See, this is the privilege that we have. It's not that we, we need to be afraid of suffering. It's that as we go to those who are in suffering, we meet Jesus there because that's where he went. And that is where we find joy. It's in those moments when we allow ourselves to be kind and loving and caring and generous to people who have no way of paying us back or doing the same to us. When we go to them and we serve them and we love them, that is where we meet Jesus. And we find joy, a joy that is beyond uh, emotion, a joy that is beyond circumstance, a joy that is beyond anything that this life can throw at you. And that is what God wants to come and give us. That is the suffering that 
we suffer with Christ. Because when, when Christ looks at the world, how many of you look at the world and you're like, this world is messed up? You see things on the news, you hear things, you read things, and it's uncomfortable, right? We don't like that. We don't like to see a suffering world. That's one of the main reasons why so many people say, I don't want to believe in a God, because if there were a God, then what about all the suffering in the world? But God is saying to us, I came down to you, and I brought victory and healing, and now I am calling you, my beloved, my daughter, my son. I have called you, I have redeemed you, I have saved you, so that you can now go into the suffering, broken world, and you can bring my good news to them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to fix everything. We can't. We are just humans. But in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, we can bring hope. We can bring life. We can bring truth and freedom because in truth there is freedom. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. And we have that. What are we doing with that? What are we doing with what God has given us? And not just physical things. What are we doing with the gospel? What are we doing with the healing, with the victory that God has given us? That he has brought into our lives. Paul then goes on in verse 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Why would he say that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? That sounds weird. Why do I need to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? That doesn't sound like the gospel. He's trying to show us that when we come to God, when we come to Jesus, when we come to Christ, we cannot play games. We cannot come half-hearted and say, yes, Jesus, I do want you in my life, but I just want you as an add-on. I actually want this life, and we give him the list of things that we want in our life, and if you can just come alongside me and just bless what I want, then I would be happy with that. He is saying, no, 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 no. You need to come to Jesus and see what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And then you need to say, Lord, all that I am and all that I have for all that you are. And that sounds like nice words, but it's not so simple to do it. When we think of um, in the Western world, Christianity is sometimes this thing where we come to Jesus and suffering then becomes part of the sanctification process, right? So when you come to Jesus, you are justified, just as if I never sinned. And then after that, we get sanctified. So then life happens and Jesus transforms us and he makes us more like him through a little bit of suffering and so on but hopefully not too much of that. But when you think of how the disciples came to Christ and how a lot of the people in some other parts of the world come to Christ, suffering is not something that maybe comes later after you came to Christ. 
Suffering is almost like a prerequisite. I have spoken to students in countries like Nepal and Indonesia where they had to give up a lot just to come to Christ. Where they were Hindu or Muslim, and they knew that the moment that they said yes to Jesus, their family would disown them. They would get kicked out of their school. One of the girls that we met, um, she was a very strong leader in a university, and she was a Muslim, and she had these dreams of Jesus, and she started learning about Jesus, and she knew that she needed to follow Jesus and choose him, but she knew the moment that she did that, her parents would disown her, and she's studying in a Muslim university. She's a leader in a Muslim university. And when she chose Jesus, they put her on a table in their food court, and they threw her with food and shouted at her the most horrible things because she chose Jesus. So coming into her life with Christ, there was suffering. But the joy that she found in Christ helped her to not just accept that and take that and be able to work through that, but to actually live a life where she was able to reach out to people and reach them in their suffering. And that is the life that we have in Christ. It's looking at the world and looking at the suffering of this world and saying, Lord, that does not scare me because I know the victory that I have in you. I know the healing that I have in you. And because of that, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to look to my own interests, but I will look to the interests of others and see where they are at and say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Where do you want to use me? It's, it's not as simple as just hearing these things and saying these things, but to really ask God to cut our hearts so that we understand where he is at with this. We often say um, in our culture and, and, you know, whenever we're hanging out with each other, life is short, enjoy it, have fun, live a little. You know, life is short. You need to live a little. You need to do things. And you need to, you know, if you want to do things with your life and if you want to have success, then the time is now, guys. You are young. We have to do it now. Let's live. Let's go out there and have fun. And that's not wrong. Many of those things are things that, that I say often. But the thing is, we need to shift our thinking and understand that, yes, life is short, but eternity is long. And we need to live for eternity. Right now, right here, in this short space, this little bit of life that we have now determines not just our eternity, but the people around us. All of us are living right now in the time that you are living because God put you here for a reason, because there are things going on right now in South Africa and in this world that he wants you and me to change and impact. That's why we're alive now and not 10 years, or I mean 100 years back or 100 years from now. There are things now going on in our world now, suffering that is taking place around us that he is calling us to. And church, when we live for ourselves, we are going to get bored and we are going to say stuff like, life is short, enjoy it. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to enjoy life. 
all I want you to understand is the way that we enjoy life is through living for him. It is through emptying ourselves. It is through saying, Lord, not my will, not my plans, not my dreams, but what do you want to do with my life? Because it is when we try to take that into our own hands, when we say, what do I want to do with my life, that we freak out. And we're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, should I study this or should I do that? Should I move there? Should I marry this person? And we freak out. And again, those things aren't wrong. But if we put them in perspective of God and what He is doing, and what He wants to do in our lives and through our lives, if we are able to surrender and say, Lord, I want to see what you are doing in the world and I want to be a part of that. That is when we truly start living. When we truly start making an impact. And you can live this life now in a way that you take people with you into eternity. You can make an eternal difference in this world and in this life. And for some of you, that sounds overwhelming. You're like, Marielle, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get by with my own life. But I can assure you, the moment that you make that switch, the things in your life will come into perspective and God will grace you to be able to live beyond yourself. And the things in your life will start shifting away because God is there and His Spirit is there and you are no longer living with your own power and with your own strength. I want to encourage you with some people that encouraged me throughout the years. Um, in 2016, I was at the World Conference. Um, every nation, every three years, we come together as all the every nations around the world. And we share stories and we share testimonies of what's happening in all the different nations. And there was this one sermon. I don't even know what the guy's name was. But one of the phrases in his sermon hit me so hard that it is still stuck in my head. And I remember it every week almost as a reminder of what am I living for. And he said, is Christ dying for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? What you are living for right now, is that worth what Christ lived for and died for and paid for? And that can sound heavy, and I don't want you to hear that as heavy. But do you understand that there's a bigger picture going on here? And sometimes we get so lost in what's going on in our lives. You are called to more. Church, we are called to more. I'm so challenged by this. Asking myself, Marielle, what are you doing? Do you believe God for the impossible? God did not save you just so that you can have a nice life. God saved every single one of us because he wants to use every single one of us to go and change the world out there. And that's what he's calling us to. He has bigger plans for us than we have for ourselves. If we think of a couple of people um, who has done this, who has taken this message where Jesus emptied himself and they did the same, they just said, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Where do you want to take me? And, and two of these people is Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott. If you haven't heard of them, please go look at their lives, read their books. It is amazing. So Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott, they 
started having a heart for people in Ecuador. There were these tribes living in the Amazon that was busy, like, killing each other, and they don't know God, and no one knows their language. And they decided, we want to learn their language, and we want to reach out to these people, and we want to tell them about Jesus. And so that's what they did. They started learning the language. They got married. They got a baby. And then eventually, Jim Elliott and four of his friends, they started communicating to these people by flying over them and giving them these packages from the airplane to show them, we come in peace. Like, we want to make friends. And they kept on doing this for a while. And eventually they said, okay, we need to go down there now and speak to these people. And so they went there and they killed them. Jim Elliott and his four friends. They sacrificed their life because they wanted to tell them about Jesus. And now Elizabeth Elliott is there with a young baby and she's sitting with this decision, Lord, this is not the plan. We got married because we wanted to reach these people for you together. Why didn't you protect them? And then she decides not to give up and run away. She continues to learn the language and she goes and lives with the very same tribe who murdered her husband. And she reaches them with the gospel. And she plants many churches among those tribes. Even if you go to the Amazon now, you will see those churches still existing because of what Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot did. She lived with them for many years and reached them with the good news of the gospel because she knew that they were living without Jesus and she saw that as suffering and she said, I will go and live in the Amazon and reach these people. Living beyond yourself. Another example of that is Mother Teresa. So many of us have heard about Mother Teresa. She was this amazing woman that gave up everything and she went to go live in Kolkata in the slums of India and she lived with the poorest of the poor. They say when she first got to India, she didn't have enough food for herself. So she begged with the people that she was reaching out to. Because she was so convicted and convinced that God wants to touch their lives and change their lives. She worked for many years among people who had leprosy, HIV and AIDS, tuberculosis. And she just kept on serving and loving and living beyond herself. Because she couldn't look at the suffering and turn away and go live her own normal life. She was called to bring Jesus to those people. And if you read her quotes and you listen to her understanding of suffering, she, she said crazy things like while she's spending time with the people and, and serving them and loving them, it felt to her as if she was spending time with Jesus, as if she was literally touching Jesus' body. Another uh, example of someone that did this, that, that said, Lord, here I am, send me, take my life, is a... Uh, William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce is the man who gave up his life. He, he worked a lot in politics and so on, but he was an abolitionist. He fought against the slave trade for 20 years, and eventually they changed it, and he stopped the slave trade in Britain. And he was also someone that looked at something that saw suffering and then said, God, I cannot just stand still and be by myself and just ignore that. 
I want to get involved. I will sacrifice my life. And if you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, it's about his life. And it shows the suffering that he himself had to go through to fight against slavery. It's people that look at injustice and suffering and say, God, I cannot stand still. I cannot keep quiet. Um, Floyd McClung and Sally McClung are two missionaries, incredible people um, from America. And when they were really young, basically most of our age or younger, um, God started challenging them and saying, do you really care about people? They were in India on a short-term mission trip, and he saw a drug addict, a young man from America that many people used to, um, well, they still do, but go on a hippie trail trying to avoid the Western life. And then they would end up being drug addicts and living in these horrible conditions in these countries, in poverty. And he looked at that man and he said, do I care enough to do something about it? And shortly after they got married, they went to go live in Afghanistan and work among these people, work among drug addicts and serve them and love them and take care of them, which is not an easy work to do. After that, um, God challenged them. They already had children. And he said to them, I want you to go live in the red light district in Amsterdam. And I want you to go and fight the injustice that's happening there. And they gave up their lives. They gave up everything. And they went to go and live there so that they can bring God's goodness, so that they can bring the gospel. Church, these people are regular people. If you read their stories, if you hear their stories, if you um, read their books or you look at some of the movies that they've made of their lives, they were regular people like you and me. And God is calling us to that life, to a life of more, to a life of joy that is not just amongst this community because it's great if we live for one another and we can do that and be very comfortable. But God is calling us to more. He's calling us to empty ourselves into specific situations and bring his hope and bring his light there. Now, I know that when we think of this and, and we, we, when we hear these stories, um, it might sound far removed. You might be like, Marielle, I don't have a heart for people in India or Afghanistan or wherever. But there are people in your community, even at your workplace. There is suffering all around us that God is calling us to. And I want to challenge you to pray dangerous prayers. We don't respond to this message by saying, God, I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. That's not the message here. The message is Jesus has already done it. We just need to say yes to whatever he asks of us. And you don't have to be worried that that's going to be this whole bad life of suffering and whatever. It's just a life of purpose where you step into suffering and you bring hope and light and joy and meaning. That's what he's calling us to. It's not necessarily suffering in the sense that now you're going to live this depressed, horrible life. It's rather a life of victory, of stepping into dark places and being the light and bringing the light. And God has called every single one of us to that. So I want to pray for us now. I want to ask you, as we respond now, um, I remember when I was in university, I, I was at a conference where Floyd McClung spoke. 
And he shared his life and he shared many testimonies. And that was the first time in my life that I heard someone speak. And I said, that man is living for something. He's living for purpose that is beyond just a job and just surviving. And it stirred me so much. And at the end of, of you know, all of the things that he shared, he said he wants to pray for people that wants to say to God, here I am, take my life, do whatever you want to do with my life. And at that moment, I thought, there is no way that I'm praying that. God's probably going to send me to India. I was like, no way, God. I'm not praying that. But the gospel was so stirring in my heart that I knew I needed to respond. And I stood up and I said, Lord, We cannot live for ourselves. We have the opportunity to say to God, take my life and do whatever you want. And we don't have to be scared. Shortly after, I responded and prayed that prayer. God sent me on mission trips all over the world. And I saw a lot of suffering, but I saw so much joy. And I would not be standing here today if I did not respond to that call. Tonight, God is calling us to live beyond ourselves. So I want to pray for us. If you want to say to, Lord, to God tonight, Lord, take my life. Take my life and do something with it. Something that's not just about me. Not just about a job. Not just about surviving. But making a difference in this world. Then I want you to just stand with me now. Say, Lord, here I am. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where you're going to take me, but I trust you and I believe in you and I believe in the power of God. And I want to live for something more than just myself. And I want to make a difference in this world. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people transformed. I want to see societies healed and nations reached with the good news of Jesus. So if that is you and there's no pressure, um, but I want to ask you to stand now if you want to say to God, Lord, take my life. I just want to pray for us, Lord. We stand before you now, God, and we just want to surrender our lives, and we want to say, Lord, all that I am and all that I have for all that you are. Jesus, thank you that you paid the price so that we don't have to. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need riches or all the wisdom in the world to change this world. We just need to say yes to you. And Lord, we stand before you now with a yes, and we say, Lord, 
take our lives and use it for your kingdom and for your glory. Thank you, God, that you are the one that calls us. And because it is you that calls us and it's you that we say yes to, that you are the one that will grace us. That you are the one that will send us. And you're the one that will go ahead of us. Thank you, Lord, that wherever we go, your presence goes ahead of us. And we just worship you with our lives, Lord. We thank you that we get to be a part of this and that we can find joy in your kingdom and in your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I just want uh, to... So friends, normally um, we would have discussion groups right now, but I just feel that we're not going to do it tonight. Um, I want to ask, many of you stood tonight and say, yes, Lord, I want you to use my life for your purposes. If, if, if you're not sure that you're born again, um, you will say yes to the purposes of God, but you will need to accomplish it in your own strength. So as we're going to break for coffee, I want to ask that if you're at a space where you're not sure that your life belongs to Jesus, then you cannot say yes to that call because you will burn out. You will die. Then you, then you are saying yes to suffering, um, like in a bad way. But when, you've, when you are born again, when you've surrendered your life to Christ, then you get to step into the purpose of God with His power. It's uh, the, the scripture that Marielle read. It says, this is the mind that is yours in Christ Jesus. Not that you have to try and obtain, but if you are not in Christ, then you will try and obtain something. So if that's you, I want you to come um, to the front right there to my right. Um, Marielle and I will be there, and we'd love to pray with you to um, be sure of the fact that your life belongs to God. And then I promise you, you can say yes to this incredible call that God has over your life. So I'm going to pray for us. Marielle, thank you for sharing the word. Thank you for being vulnerable. Um, and, and I think I speak on behalf of many of us that your, your life is an incredible testimony to the work of God. And we do really appreciate you. Um, and we are behind you. Um, so I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll go for coffee. Almost it will break for coffee. And we'll come back next week Sunday. Father, we thank you that, as Marielle said, that when we speak about suffering with Christ and suffering for Christ, it's not a negative thing that we've got to almost look up to, but it's something we can step into knowing that we ourselves have experienced the joy and the hope and the freedom and the healing of the gospel, and we get to take that into the broken world around us. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will come and speak to every single person. What is their next step? There is suffering around your life that God is calling you to make a difference in, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's a family member, whether it's your campus, your workplace. There is suffering, and it's not just physical suffering. Some people are suffering mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And God is calling you to step into those broken areas. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and show them right now the person that you are entrusting to them. I thank you, Lord, that we can be a church that has you as our Lord and our Savior, our champion, the one on whom we get to fix our eyes forever. Amen.